Welcome to Mission in 5, the podcast where we ask a handful of questions to ministry practitioners to learn more about who they are and where they see God moving in their community. I am your host, Greg Manuel, and every week through my work with the Churches Helping Churches, ABC Nebraska, my ongoing writing projects, and serving as a faculty mentor to seminary students, I get to partner with Christian leaders, entrepreneurs, missionaries, and ministers of the church in a variety of contexts. I am always amazed at the many and varied ways that God works in our individual communities and when multiple churches network together for mission and ministry. So that's the purpose of this podcast, to share the stories of people participating in God's mission in Nebraska, across the country, and around the world. This season, we are meeting with our friends and global servants with international ministries. My hope is that we learn how we can partner with them by supporting their ministry efforts around the world, but also how we can utilize their gifts and talents as partners in our local churches as well. So be sure to check out the show notes for links to their ministry and how you can contact them. My guest today is Christy Engel, who has spent the last 22 years as a global consultant with international ministries where she focuses on healthcare. She is trained as a pediatric nurse practitioner and served for 12 years in the Dominican Republic, leading teams and working with public health issues. She helped coordinate the 2010 Haiti earthquake relief and worked in Liberia during the 2014 Ebola outbreak. As a global consultant, Christy provides health assessment training, clinical skills, partner consultation, and crisis relief throughout the world with IM, Christian Connections for International Health and Faith Community Nursing. Teaching about asset community development is a hallmark of her work. To be able to travel around the world quickly, Christian makes her home in Atlanta, Georgia. And just some fun facts about the Hartsfield-Jackson Atlanta International Airport. It is the busiest airport in the world, with more than 100 million passengers a year traveling through it. It is the economic jewel of Georgia, generating $34.8 billion of economic um, stimulus to the metro Atlanta area, providing more than 63,000 jobs, making it the state's largest employer. The Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport is a global gateway offering nonstop service to more than 150 domestic and 70 international destinations. I just think that's a fun intro. (laughs) Welcome to the podcast, Christy. Thank you. Yeah, there's a really significant reason why I moved to Georgia when I left the Dominican Republic. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's you can certainly get anywhere from there, it seems like. Yeah, I think I found out that through the Atlanta uh, Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport, I can get to every continent except Antarctica on a nonstop flight if I needed to. So, which was, you know, doing crisis work, that was important. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself. I, I've done that little bit of an intro there, but um, just in your own words, tell us tell us who are you? Tell, you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I grew up throughout the Midwest. I moved about a dozen times before I went to college. So everybody says, well, where are you from? And I'm like, depends what time of my life you ask. So uh, one of the places I lived in was Omaha, Nebraska for a short time and um, Wayne, Nebraska as well. Uh, and, And then Iowa, Ohio, North Dakota, Illinois, Missouri, and a small stint in Vermont uh, through my lifetime. But um, sports and church were probably the two biggest parts of my life growing up. And so mm-hmm. I ended up at Judson University in Elgin, Illinois, mm-hmm. um, played um, basketball for them, and um, kind of got my uh, foot in the door with missions. Uh, it was the first time I had really done much with missions was through 
um, Judson University, and I was the chair of the missions committee. And so that kind of opened my eyes to the possibilities of missions in the world. I have family scattered throughout the Midwest. I have one brother and one sister. And um, my parents, my uh, mother died about uh, almost, gosh, almost 20 years ago now from breast cancer. But she was also had a heart for missions and did volunteer work overseas. And uh, my dad now lives um, in Norfolk, Nebraska. Wow, that's cool. What yeah. uh, caused you to move so much as a kid? <laughs> you would think my dad was either in the military or a pastor, but he's an accountant. Okay. Um, but he was just very upward mobile and always looking for the next best, biggest sure. job. And so, um, and through some of the economic crises in the late 70s, early 80s, he was in the auto industry. Okay. And so that meant we were moving around quite a bit. Yeah, yeah for... Uh... I guess I also moved around a lot when I was a kid. My dad was, in fact, connected to the military. And so I was born in Arkansas, but I lived in Louisiana and California and South Korea and Arizona and Connecticut, Massachusetts, back to Arkansas, did my graduate work in Texas before moving to Nebraska. So, yeah. So, where are you from, right? I exactly. Am, You're I'm, <laughs> I've lived longer in the state of Nebraska than I lived anywhere else. Yeah. And we've been in our current location within Omaha longer than anywhere else. And so yeah. when people ask, I guess I'm from Nebraska with family well, roots in Arkansas. It's usually. Yeah. Well, when I lived in, in the Dominican Republic for 12 years, it was the longest I had ever lived in any single location. Wow. Um, so I, I feel like I'm as much from the Dominican Republic as I am from anywhere <laughs> in the U.S. Very cool. Okay, so um, you you kind of introed a little bit about your call to missions and those sort of things through your college experience. Um, tell us a little bit how you came to be here then. Uh, mm -hmm. How did you get called into IM work? And you've been here for quite a while. And and maybe within that, uh, the call to healthcare in, in okay. mission. Well, the easiest answer of those questions is the healthcare part. And okay. ever since I was a kid, I have been fascinated by how the body works. Mm. Um, I just, I always think it's just, it, it's such a insight into God to see how the body recovers and mm. is redeemed in healthcare situations. And so I guess for me, I've just always been fascinated with um, medicine and healthcare. And so I knew early on that I was either going to be a doctor or at some level B in, in healthcare. And when I was in at, at Judson University, um, I was pre-med, had every plan to go to medical school. And like I say, during my um, senior year, junior year, I was chair of the missions committee. And I had this opportunity to start sending people on mission trips. We had a budget to send people overseas. And I thought, well, I want to do something like that. And yeah. so my senior year, um, I had the I graduated early and had an opportunity to go somewhere. Well, I chose Haiti only because of all the places in the world I could pick. I picked Haiti. It was only because it was the only medical missionary I had ever met had worked in Haiti. Okay. And so and so it was at an American Baptist hospital through international mission ministries, and um, and so I asked if I could go. And so they accepted me to go over my, uh, over Christmas in 1991. And, uh, then they proceeded to have a coup in October of 91. So I showed up following a coup and, um, I really feel like God was saying, if you can handle this, you can handle anything. And, uh, I literally stepped off this very small 
four or five seater plane um, and hit the air of Haiti. And if you've been to Haiti, you know what I'm talking about. There's a specific smell and a heat and moisture of, on the coast there. And um, I, I heard God say to me, you've come home. And I had no idea what that meant because missions was nowhere on my radar. Right. Uh, in fact, I had thought I would um, go into sports medicine and work for a professional football or basketball team so I could marry a tall man. And <laughs> I figured that was an easy way to find the yeah. an athlete and a tall guy. Um, and so this was a really 180 degree turn for me. And, uh, and in that time that I was there for those three weeks, it just was confirmed over and over for me mm -hmm. that that's what I was supposed to do. So fast forward, I didn't get into medical school, get to nursing school, and I wanted to get back on the field and not be in studies anymore. And so returned to Haiti for another um, 18 months uh, and ran a pediatric ward there. And then uh, at that point, decided to no longer just be an independent missionary, sure. not, not just a volunteer to actually find, make this a career. And that's when I found International Ministries um, through many, many giants of International Ministries in their healthcare field, Dan Fountain being one of them, who, and Bill Clemmer and Mark Thompson, several people. Mm. Um, and then they assigned me to um, the Dominican Republic, and I was there for 12 years. And at one point heard this, uh, heard a pastor speak at a missions conference. And he said, how are you using the gifts that God has given you? And have you gotten so used to using them in the way that you use them that you're not challenging yourself anymore? And that was when I felt called to do a global position, which had never been done with I am in healthcare. Yeah. And so we wrote my position together and about 12 years ago, it started. Yeah, that's cool. Do you know about Hilda Payne and her work in the Congo? I don't. She was from Nebraska, and it's a uh, Nebraska missionary from the early 20th century, late 19th okay. century, um, and famously went with her husband, Alexander Bain, um, overseas to the Congo to do medical work and start a school and do a bunch of other stuff. Um, and she was kind of a lost missionary to us till a couple summers ago when my daughter and I were actually doing some research through our history books in our library and found her and uh, discovered that she was connected to us. So that was that kind great? of a cool part. I need to tell her story better. Um, yeah. But yeah. She no, was there I... like 40 years and um, was... helped translate the Bible into native languages there in the Congo. And um, yeah. Yeah, Democratic Republic of Congo has just some giants for American Baptist churches and international ministries uh, of mission and and how they they our mission is doing what it's doing today and the way we're doing it because of those missionaries. Yeah, it's very cool, very good. All right, so um, now you're you're not tied to a, a a foreign mission field specifically one in mm -hmm. particular. Now you're working with lots of different. Um, areas you're kind of overseeing a handful of other missionaries is that correct um no i actually don't oversee anybody i'm not okay. in any sort of administrative role um i just partner with either partners of international ministries like um the council of baptist churches of northeast india okay. or um uh even the dominican republic i still go back there and work with them on on projects um so i am sort of loaned out for okay. a time to all these different places. Um, or I may have a colleague who writes to me and says, you know, we're really facing this um, healthcare challenge. 
can you come alongside and help us uh, and figure out how we can do it better or how we can um, meet this challenge? Okay, very good. Well, our, our classic third question that we always ask in this podcast is what is happening in your ministry context? So uh, maybe share some of those partnerships that, that, that you're partnering with now, what's kind of um, things you're doing in your daily mission and ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know you're, you're helping with the, the monkeypox uh, vaccines mm-hmm. right now. Um, tell us a little bit about what's going on for you then in mission and ministry. Sure. Uh as you know, for the last two and a half years with COVID, um, right. ministry has changed completely for me. Um, right. I had, if we go back to January of 2020, when it was just first being heard uh, what COVID was, um, I had just come off a six-week around-the-world trip visiting uh, partners all over the world. And I had been home less than a week, and I got a phone call from um, my supervisor who said, have you heard about this new respiratory disease and what are we going to do to help our partners? And so yeah. back in January, 2020, I started doing that. So basically for the last two and a half years, except for a one single trip to Bolivia to meet with colleagues there last December, I have been doing online working from home um, because many of the places that I need to go to don't have access to vaccines, medicines, oxygen treatments, things like that. So it's not a safe place for me to go. And it's also not great for me to put them at risk by me showing up. Um, uh, and so so for the last couple of years, I have been doing trainings online, um, uh, accessing resources and getting them to the places that need them the most. Um, and so it's on the computer all day, every day, learning as much as I can and then training. Um, I'm glad to get past that. And now we're moving out um, and doing sure. some other things. In the meantime, because I felt like I have these skill sets, what can I do? When um, COVID-19 vaccination was at its peak, I was out doing vol- as a volunteer vaccinator for the emergency uh, department for the state of okay. Georgia. And so I was I was vaccinating several t- several days a week. Um, and now, as you said, with monkeypox, that is now uh, another health emergency here. And we're doing about 3,000 vaccines every weekend mm-hmm. uh, between about a dozen different volunteers and vaccinators. So um, I have another one coming up this Saturday. And I'm, I'm preparing for some future work that's coming up to this as travel is opening it back up again. Um, and so reconnecting with partners and um, I think the fun thing that I've been doing uh, most recently is a new podcast and uh, which we had you as our first guest and so appreciative of that. So um, yeah, provisions is the name of our podcast and we um, are interviewing guests from around the world. It was a way for us to stay in touch. uh, My colleague, Melanie Bagow and I to stay in touch with our, our colleagues throughout COVID. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the podcast provisions then. Um, what's what's kind of the, the theme of that and, and how you're connecting with your colleagues around the world? Yeah. So uh, your book, Table Life, was how it got us kicked off on this. Um, honestly, you know, as everybody was isolating at home and we were losing time around the table and we were losing time in conversation. And I think just culturally, watching our society become so polarized Mm. and, and it's not just the U S it's around the world too. You know, everybody's polarized and it's either because of religion or politics or 
um, conspiracy theories that throw you into these polarized positions, yeah. it felt like we'd lost the ability to have a conversation again, mm -hmm. and especially a conversation around a table. And so um, having read your book and done a, a book study with that through international ministries, I thought this would be a really great opportunity to invite people to come to a virtual table and, 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 t and show the world, introduce the world to friends of Melanie's and myself, so our colleagues or other people that we've met along the way who are really interesting and have a, a story to share. But because we're not coming around the table anymore, it's really hard to do that. And so we began this podcast um, earlier this year uh, and release it about once a month. And um, the next one's coming out next week, the next episode, and it'll be um, with colleagues who've worked in Bangladesh. Oh, fun. Yeah. yeah. I've enjoyed listening to those. I was honored to be a guest and to be a small part of your inspiration for doing it. Yes. Um, but it, it's been really interesting to learn about some of the, the food that are, are so popular for these various contexts, like the one in Egypt and um, yes. different ones along those lines and, and, and how they bring some of their own um, personal like flavors to those experiences as well. Yeah. But learning about, I think, I think your most recent one was the, um, was South, South Africa. Africa. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. And so they had the, the pots where they just kind of mix everything together and all these layers. And, yes. and that's, that's a very inconsistent recipe. Everybody's got their own. And it just made me think of like American meatloaf, right? Everybody right. says, I don't really like meatloaf until, and then they say, but you got to try my meatloaf. Mine. Right? Exactly. So I feel right? like that's what those pot layers are <laughs> of that meal. Well, the the surprising thing for me is how many countries from various, you know, places, I mean, all around the world have their own curries. Like yeah. South Africa has a curry and Singapore has a curry and Thailand has a curry and India has a curry. And yet they're all a little different. And yeah. um, and that's been really fun to talk to people about that. It's also fun to, to bring a topic to the table that is not polarizing. Yeah, we all we all want food, right? right. <laughs> we all Absolutely. enjoy food, and and I think it sort of breaks down some of those barriers that we mm -hmm. have yeah. um, put up in our conversations by starting with a subject that we all can talk about, and uh, and that isn't polarizing. Uh, I mean, unless you're like a coffee tea drinker and you polarize who's oh, you know gosh. which is better, right? Tea always. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no way. Coffee, you know. So, and in fact, we're going to be doing a podcast soon on um, uh, coffees around the world. We're going oh. to meet, and Melanie's going to interview several missionaries who have worked with coffee, have worked with coffee around the world. And then I'm going to do one uh, with tea and chai when I go to India in October. Very cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll listen to the tea one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I, I, I will say though that, that in addition to this this neutral setting that the table does provide is um, that that it, for, for me one of the biggest breakthroughs in my conversations with people during meals is just this reality that you can in fact go deeper than the topic of food when you're gathered at the table with somebody because right. there's it's just so much harder to be combative with somebody you're knee to knee with at a table. I mean, I feel yeah. like we've got this freedom to just berate right. one another online or from a distance or even through texting um, to our, our group chats or our family members. But when you're actually talking to them on the phone or sitting at a dinner table, our tone always changes. And absolutely, um, I think that's an interesting thing in human interaction, but I think a right. vital one that if we're going to move forward um, on anything that's difficult to talk about, mm -hmm. then getting together at a table is, is going to be a huge part of um, solving those problems. 
Well, and you know, there's some comfort in that we all have a need for food, right? And yeah. so we, we come with a shared need yeah. to a table that really does break down a lot of those barriers. And, and, um, and because we allow for people to have differences of opinion in regards to food without judging them yeah. generally, you yeah, know, it's, it kind of breaks down some of the other barriers that we may have in judging people because of, you know, their religion or mm. um, uh, where they live or what they look like, how they speak. And so I think, you know, I've really enjoyed having these conversations with my colleagues who I've, all of these folks are people I've, I've met in the past who I thought have so much to offer. And, um, and, and they're able to share, you know, when we were the strangers coming into a new country, yeah. our, our, our community invited us to the table. Yeah. They, we, sh they shared food with us. And that was sometimes very often the, the beginning of building that community relationship. Yeah. Very good. Okay, so uh, we'd like to ask, what is next? Meaning, like, what's going on for you next? What's what's upcoming for you personally or professionally um, as you mm -hmm. continue to to help people around the world with with healthcare? What's what's next for you? Well, besides this Saturday's monkeypox uh, mass vaccination, um, my next international work is in about three three weeks, and I've been okay. invited to join um, Charles Jones, the Reverend okay. Charles Jones, who yeah. is uh, one of the um, supervisors or one of the uh, uh, admin people at International Ministries. He's over Europe and Liberia. And he's invited me to the European Baptist Federation's annual council meeting in Latvia, in Riga, Latvia. And Hi. so um, I, part of the reason for me going there is to, because of the crisis in Europe right now, um, not just with Ukraine and Russia, but there's been an ongoing crisis with refugees from the mm -hmm. Middle East, um, yeah. Afghanistan, Syria, different places. And um, uh, the churches are being put into a position of having to provide health care uh, very often or and, and they're not health care providers, um, but they have this health care need for this marginalized community that is coming in. And so my work with asset based community development, I think, has put me in a unique position to have some of these conversations with churches yeah. and say, OK, okay this may not be your greatest gift, but I, I suspect you have other things that can help you meet the challenge of, of healthcare needs. And so um, I think prior to more recently, in the last few months at least, um, Europe was seen as they can handle it. They don't need missionaries to come in to do a lot of healthcare work specifically. Right. But now with the refugee crisis, it's it's becoming much more evident that um, the, the structures and the systems that are in place aren't, aren't meeting the needs of the marginalized, including yeah. refugees and immigrants. So those will be some of those conversations in Latvia in September. And then I'm home for just 10 days and heading back out to Northeast India uh, and meeting with hospitals and churches and nursing schools as well up there just to learn how the last couple of years have been for them. Um, I'll be heading to some, um, meetings with that are hospital, um, uh, management meetings just to hear what those needs are, how international ministries can better partner with them and then reconnect with some of my nursing and medical colleagues there. Yeah. Um, uh, we, we provided quite a bit of aid through international ministries and one great hour of sharing to India during the crisis just last year. And, um, and so kind of recognizing some of that and seeing how the money has been used and um, kept, I mean, it has legitimately kept hospitals open over the last uh, couple of years. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. We uh, anticipate having John and Amanda good from oh, yay. Uh, Hungary 
to tell us a little yeah. bit. I know they've done some refugee work, but I also know yes. Hungary has not been terribly welcoming of refugees. Um, and right. so we're going to hear some of their story. And then uh, we in Nebraska just hosted the president of the Northeast Baptist, Northeast India um, Baptist Convention, that that whole yeah, area. CBC NEI. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was here um, raising money for a college, um, but yes. also telling us a little bit about their their Baptist history and connection to us. And so that was a real honor to to meet him. And his name yeah. escapes me, and I apologize. Doctor, but... Is it Dr. Sema? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah, so I'll be so. meeting with him. I'll be able to see uh, see him as as well as the health secretary for CBC NEI. Yeah. So, so very good. A lot of connections. I, you and I Definitely. have, we go way back. Um, we do. So, yeah. We had first met, uh, I don't know, 10 years ago or so when you were a guest speaker at our state convention discussing yeah. asset-based community development. You kind of teased that a little bit as one of the things you're going yeah. to do uh, coming up. But for those who may not be aware, I, I feel like it's a common knowledge thing now, but for those who may not be aware, uh, tell us about asset-based community development and how you use that as part of your larger portfolio of caring for people sure. around the world. Sure. Asset-based community development, or ABCD, to say it more uh, quickly or easier, um, looks at the assets that a community brings to the table to meet mm -hmm. their health challenges, uh, or any challenge. Uh, it doesn't have to just be health care. And, um, and I like to use the word challenge as opposed to problems or needs. Right. Um, uh, ministry and missions for, for decades, if not generations, always focused on needs. This, this community has a need for education. This community has a need uh, for a hospital or for medical personnel or whatever it might be. And, and when you approach a community and you look only at what they need, so their deficit, hmm. you basically are, are not acknowledging that they do have good things in that community. There are things that they're doing that are they're doing well. And, they, and it may be hard to see them because we're so often focused on the needs of a community. And so asset-based community development says, let's put on a different pair of glasses. Let's put on the glasses that said, okay, I'm going to look at what you're doing well. Mm. And then once we identify those things that you do well, those assets that you have within the community, and not just finances, which we often make assets equal to money, which that's not it. Um, they may have fantastic cooks in the community. Well, if you have an issue with malnutrition and you have great cooks right there, there's a connection, right? And so um, going into a community and saying, what do we do well? And how do we use what we do well to meet the, the challenges that we face? Because everybody faces challenges. In the, in the wealthiest countries of the world, we face challenges. So how do we use our assets to, to, to meet those challenges? And so um, I've been doing this now, asset-based community development for, gosh, at least 10 years now, um, and written curriculum for it now to do trainings in churches and um, uh, in other communities, individuals, to train them how to look at uh, the world differently. Look at the world in the in the recognize that there are needs. Yes, and in, when there's a crisis, you can't always rely on your assets to to meet that. Right. Um, but when we're not in a crisis, we're in a development stage um, of work. Then we need to really focus on the assets that a community brings to the table. Um, it's a lot. You can build relationships, stronger, better relationships, when you say we all are bringing something to the table. Because I believe right. that. God has gifted all of us with, with specific gifts. And if we recognize those gifts and how can we use them together instead of saying my gifts are better than your gifts because, 
you know, I can give you these things that you need. Um, that changes the dynamic of a relationship and it makes it much more difficult to have a balanced relationship. Very good. So our last question is always, how can we as American Baptists in Nebraska partner with you? Um, but I would like to to also talk about um, not just how we can support you as a missionary doing your work around the world. I uh, We talked a little bit earlier about how sometimes it feels like when we go to support missionaries, it's to do work that's over there, wherever there mm -hmm. is, some mm -hmm. exotic location in our imagination sure. from Nebraska, <laughs> um, yeah. especially if it involves water, because we are geographically as far from the ocean as you can get in North America <laughs> exactly. in Nebraska. We have a sign yeah. that says so near Kearney. <laughs> um, but uh, not... So, so yes, tell us how we partner with you and support you in your international mm -hmm. work. But also, how can you be a resource to our local churches in mm. our region um, in kind of a, a relationship of reciprocity so that sure. um, we do support you, but you can also be a, a resource and an advocate for our, our local churches in our region? Yeah. Well, I think, first of all, the first thing that comes to mind um, for me is is information and knowledge. So just yeah. learning, um, helping me learn about the needs that are, or the challenges that your churches and communities are facing, but also um, for those churches and communities to be learning about the challenges that other countries are facing. And I think sometimes we rely on missionaries to do all the education and forget, you know, we're a very uh, open world these days. You know, yeah. you can find anything you want on the internet. But I mean, how many people know about the crisis that's happening in Ethiopia right now that has been happening for, you know, more than a year, more than two years? You know, that there's a, there is a famine in, in Ethiopia right now that most people aren't talking about, and it's affecting millions of people, right? Mm -hmm. um, so sometimes it's just, let's learn together. Let's, let's um, sometimes asking me, where are some of the crises in the world that we can be praying at for as a church? What can we learn more about to help um, um, missionaries on the field or the partner organizations that we work with around the world? Um, so it's just educating yourself. So that's one of the first things that we can do. And, that, and like, again, that's the reciprocity is me learning from your communities and congregations and things, the challenges they face. It's like that asset-based community development. That doesn't have to be taught in an international setting. Those are things that can be done in Nebraska. And in fact, um, one of your churches in Western Nebraska were, were one of the first churches that I got to see it in action. Um, I can remember there was a church, um, and I'm blanking on the name of it now. Uh, uh, it was near the the Buttes. It was near the, yeah. um, and, and anyway, they were talking about how they were re ready to close. They were going to close. They were trying to spend all their money. So they had a, a picnic after church one day, and they meant to spend out the end of their bank account or whatever. And in the end, people showed up. Their community came together to eat this picnic meal, and then people started making donations. Well, let me give you some more money. Well, no, we're trying to spend all our money, so our church is going to close. And what ended up happening was this great relationship with the community. So the church knew how to have community by sharing a meal together, right? Yeah. And in the end, it kept the church alive and it grew the church. And and people showed up who had never felt welcome maybe in the church, but they felt welcome at the round the picnic table. And then it became a thing. And and so for me, I saw that. And so Nebraska for me has a actually a very unique and special, I use that example around the world um, uh, because of, of all of the stuff that I've seen uh, happening in Nebraska. So that's one thing. Um, I would say another way is to just um, uh, 
reach out to me when churches are um, interested in knowing what to pray for around the world. Mm -hmm. uh, because I've, I have a unique opportunity being a global consultant to have my like hands in lots of pots around the world. Like I, I really kind of get a feel for what's happening around the world. And there are some, like I say, in Ethiopia, there's some crisis points right now, these hot spots that we're, a lot of people don't know about that really need focused prayer. And, um, um, and I think when there are crises that are happening, how best can we respond to them? I get emails sometimes about that and um, giving people those that link and information. So just being acting as a resource for, for information like that. There used to be a thing we used to do in our when I was growing up in the church. We'd have mission moments. Mm -hmm. And very few churches do mission moments anymore where they spend a dedicated five minutes of every service talking about missions. It just doesn't happen in most places anymore. And I think we're, we've lost um, our connections with missions to see, make yeah. it as a part of our congregation as opposed to that place over there that's doing this stuff. Yeah. And so I, I would say, you know, helping churches get um, reconnected with missions moments. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And we can do that. Um through our newsletter and we can maybe connect mm -hmm. people with missionaries and these kind of things and share the, your bios and your um, bulletin inserts. And maybe they could read those things in church and kind of yeah. revitalize that tradition. Um, I know our uh, executive minister, uh, Robin Stoops, who's moving on mm -hmm. to now work with uh, the office of general secretary for a special assignment here. Yeah. Um, he talks about growing up in his American Baptist church in Kansas and having the Sunday school curriculum features various missionaries from around the world but um through lots of complicated reasons we we don't produce sunday school yeah. material any longer as american baptist so that's another avenue where we've kind of lost our ability to tell our story because we don't have those resources like we used to have them but as yeah. you also said everything is available online in one way or another and if churches were a little proactive they could go to the international ministries website and kind of learn more about these people both for um, im and for abhms we got missionaries domestically yes. as well and so um that would be good for them to to consider and we can do our part as a region and put those links and information in our newsletters and get that word out as well that'd be great and i i like i say i really enjoy learning about what churches are doing locally yeah. um, because it inspires me and it may actually uh, give me some ideas of how new projects can be done in different places around the world. Yeah. So I, I love learning about what's happening locally. Very cool. So if a church or a person listening to the podcast wanted to connect with you, um, how would they go about doing that? What are some ways they can connect with Christy Engel? Sure. There's a couple different ways. Um, if you use Facebook, I'm not on much these days. Um, I kind of got burned out on Facebook, but I do have a website or a Facebook page. Um, Christy Global Health yep. uh, is, is the Facebook page. You can find information and updates on, and I post my newsletters there. Um, the podcast, Provisions Podcast, is a great way to learn a little bit more about what um, some of the connections are around the world that I work with. Uh, ChristyNurse.org is a website that you can go on to and you can send messages there. And probably the best one is through the International Ministries website. Okay. If you just search Christy Engel, you can find uh, and reach out to me that way. If you, you can send emails through that site. Yeah, very good. Okay, so we're going to put all that information in the show notes. So listeners, you can just scroll down there. We're going to have links to all the ways to get a hold of Christy. We're going to have links to the International Ministries website. Um, I'm going to even post a couple of, of 
news articles that are current events of things happening in the various places we've talked about in this podcast so that you can maybe catch up on some of that. So we'll have some stuff about Ethiopia. We'll have stuff about refugees in Europe. We'll have stuff about Haiti in there. And so just some some ways to kind of connect with what's going on with our guest, Christy Engel. Well, thank you so much for coming on to Mission 5. This has been so much fun. This has been great to reconnect. Well, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Mission in 5, the podcast. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you will be notified every time we produce a new episode, introducing you to another ministry practitioner or missionary engaging in God's mission in their unique context, whether it be in Nebraska, around the country, or somewhere else in the world. If you like the guests and the content, take a moment to rate and review the podcast on your favorite streaming platform and share it with your friends and family on your larger social media networks. Check out the show notes for links and contact information to every single one of our guests and some current events and other links to news articles and things that might impact their mission and ministry. Send us ideas on who you'd like us to interview for future episodes and feel free to support us by giving through PayPal on our abcnebraska.com website. Thanks everybody. Have a great day.